Hello, and welcome to the Professional PT Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Baker. I'm a physical therapist living and working in Southern Indiana, and I'm also the new professional for the Indiana ABTA. Today, I'm bringing to you the fourth episode of the Professional PT Podcast, and we've brought back Justin Bramer to discuss some financial health other than student loans. This is for some of those new professionals that have questions about what they should be doing with that paycheck or in their first few years, even some of those professionals that got their first paycheck a few years ago. We touch on some topics that are beneficial to know when you're sitting down for the first time with HR and determining some payroll items, or if you have investment questions or savings questions, we're going to be discussing those today as well. If you didn't catch our last podcast, Justin is a financial advisor out of Indianapolis, and I'm grateful that he has the time to sit down and share his knowledge with us. We have Justin Bramer back on with us today, and we are now talking about the financial health aspect after you've figured out your student loans and you're right in the middle of life and kind of figuring everything out. And so we brought Justin back to discuss that topic. And um, just for someone that hasn't listened before, Justin, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and kind of how you got to this, got to being the financial advisor that you are today? Sure. So yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so I I came into the financial world straight out of college and toward toward the end of my college training, got a degree in business finance. Um, really was drawn into this just simply a way that I can help people. Um, I Early on in my um, college years, I connected with a mentor who ran a very successful financial planning uh, firm. And the stories that he shared and the impact that he was able to make on people's lives was was really uh, impressive and very impactful. And so that that was just a natural draw to me. Um, then you add in flexibility and things like that that come with this career. It just, it really fit what I was looking for. And so since I, I've started the, the niche, so to speak, that I've developed is really helping new professionals, specifically medical professionals, doctors, dentists, PTs, chiropractors, is helping them transition from that classroom type setting into the, the real world where they're starting their career and needing assistance and looking for advice on how do you how do you be as successful as you possibly can. And so that's that's kind of where I'm at today and that's where I spend a lot of my time is helping people really coach them through all those different decisions that should be made right at the beginning of, of your career. And you had touched on it on the last episode that we were in, but it's taking an inventory of not just your student loans, but kind of life in general. You mentioned how you want your money to work for you. So talking to someone that's maybe two, three years out of uh, graduation, they, they do have a better handle on things. What would you say someone that's maybe trying to decide, of, should I tried to pay off my student loans or do I need my money working for me elsewhere? How would you kind of, what would you say to that person and talk to them about their financial health? Yeah. So the, the approach that I take to that is all the advice that, that I give the clients is based on a set of rules. So we have rules that we establish for how much do we need to save? How much should we allocate toward cars? So how much debt should we take out to finance the car if we need to do that? How much should we allocate toward a mortgage payment? So we have all these different rules. And if we're going to abide by these rules, we have to let our entire financial picture 
fit within these set of rules. So if, if I'm talking to someone that's been out of school for a couple of years, two, three years, they, they kind of have the student loan piece under control. They, they understand what they're doing there. My biggest piece of advice would, would be to establish a saving strategy. And that sounds so simplistic, but this is something that oftentimes gets pushed to the side and people focus, they get so micro-focused on just their debt or just um, trying to buy a new house or trying to pay off their car that savings kind of get, kind of gets pushed off to the side and they, they kind of think in the back of their mind, oh, we'll come back and do that later. But when it comes to savings, the, the first bucket that I would encourage people to save into would be just an emergency fund. So this is, we're not trying to grow it. We're not trying to invest it. We're just simply creating ourselves the cushion should something go wrong, when something goes wrong, that we can kind of fall back on and minimize the risk of going into credit card debt, minimize those things that could derail our entire plan if we just simply don't have an emergency fund. And so what I like to see in that is at minimum three months of living expenses inside of, say, a savings account. So I go through a cash flow exercise with a client and we establish, okay, they spend six grand a month. So that's just putting food on the table, that's paying all the necessary bills, that's paying student loans, insurance, all those necessary things. Well, we need to have three months just set aside and available if we need it. Um, my advice would not to be rushing to put money into something that we can't get to, like a retirement account or something like that, before we have a good handle on um, an emergency fund. Simply because if we have money tied up somewhere and the transmission goes out, well, guess what? <laughs> We're either having to take out a loan or put a, that on a credit card simply because we didn't spend enough time and attention on building up that liquid savings right out the gate. And so establishing a saving strategy is something that next to getting organized and understanding everything that it is that we have and everything that's going on in our financial life, that first piece that we do is make sure we have a, a strategy for cash flow and making sure that we're saving the proper amount from every single paycheck that we're getting. And you said there's kind of a set of rules. Does that rules that rule change if you have children on the way or you know that there's going to be a big expense coming up? I mean, for me, we have another another child on the way. So that's what me and my husband's trying to plan for. But like we understand having that emergency fund, does it change or does that become a different strategy? For the most part, those rules apply under all circumstances. Is I, I've seen it happen where people, they have their cars getting old and they want to just focus on that. So they completely stop saving for the future and they focus all their attention on this. And a couple of years go by, they get used to a certain level of lifestyle, but they're not saving money for the future and it gets pushed to the side. And at that point in time, once you get comfortable with a certain lifestyle, I've seen it become very hard to pivot and transition from being used to something and going back towards something else. Now, that's not to say that, okay, you have a child that's on the way. Well, if you need to make adjustments to, um, from a financial standpoint to make that expansion of your family happen smoothly, then obviously changes may need to be made. But for the most part, it's saving that 15%. It's allocating no more than 20% of your gross income toward a mortgage, toward a housing cost. So it's things like that, that once you put those into place, everything else just kind of falls in and it, it is what it is. 
the the simplest way that I put this is that if if someone can save 50 to 20 percent of their income and live off of what is left and spend less than they're making, they're going to be worlds ahead of their peers because the average savings rate in America is two percent. And so if someone's saving 15 percent, that's more than seven times the average. And if you can build in just that 15% savings each month and not even think about it, just treating it like a bill that you pay, like your mortgage every month, it's going to set you aside so that you can control when you want to stop working versus having to work until a certain age until you have enough money to be able to do that. And when you mentioned savings, I have two questions about this. When you say 15%, are you talking if you're married, your husband's 15%? Like, what if just your husband saves 15%? Is that enough for both of you? Or should you be saving 15% of your total household income? 15% of household income is the kind of the bogey that we shoot for, for minimum. And this, there's no magical formula of where 15% came from. But someone that's coming straight out of school, if they're able to save 15% of their gross income, starting right away, they're going to easily be able to retire when on their terms of when they want to and still be able to maintain the same level of lifestyle that they want to um, versus someone that saves two, three, four, five percent. Well, they're going to be in a much different position 20, 30, 40 years down the road than someone that saves that 15 to 20 percent. They get to be able to call the shots and be in control of what it is that they want to do versus someone that saves less. Okay. And that 15%, that kind of includes, initially, that might be 15% going towards your emergency fund. But then once you have your emergency fund established, then that 15% can transition into retirement or other options, correct? Absolutely. So I, I take a three-bucket approach. So if you visualize three buckets, that first one is just your emergency fund. That's your three to six months of living expenses. Uh, if you want more than three months, that's more of a comfort thing. So whatever you feel comfortable with, but at minimum three months is what I, what I like to see. Once that's established, once that 15% has fulfilled that emergency fund, then it becomes a balancing act between, okay, how much do we set aside for long-term savings, like your 401k, your IRA, your Roth, more traditional retirement savings, and balance that with non-qualified or like a brokerage account type vehicle. So for those that don't know what a brokerage account is, you can invest in the same exact thing inside of a brokerage account as you can a 401k or an IRA. But the key difference is you can get the money if you need it without penalty from a brokerage account versus what you can get from your 401k if you need the funds. So once that first bucket is fulfilled, it's saving into either the 401k or the or the brokerage account or a combination of the two Mm -hmm. and so what i like to see in that middle bucket is one year's worth of income household income in that bucket before we completely stop saving it and focus everything into more tax advantaged type vehicles but what that does is it just simply creates more of a buffer gives us liquidity allows us to pull that money out and start a business or do something else with that cash that you can't do as easily if it's wrapped up inside of a a qualified retirement account. Okay. Focusing a little bit towards 
retirement versus the right now savings or brokerage, is there different types of retirement that you should look at? Like sometimes employers offer a retirement. Sometimes there's, I've heard the Roth IRA or just an RIA, pre-tax, post-tax, um, for someone that's more healthcare driven, that kind of makes me swim a little bit in my mind <laughs> trying to figure out what those all <laughs> So looking at maybe at this point, just retirement, what options are out there? Are there certain things that you recommend? Absolutely. So, so all employers are different, but I would say most of those out there today are offering some sort of retirement plan. Those are oftentimes a 401k or a 403b type thing. And so occasionally, I'd say probably more times than not, there's some sort of match, some sort of incentive to put money into this account. And so Typically, there's two types of contributions that you can make inside of a employer-sponsored 401k plan. So that would either be a traditional IRA or a traditional 401k or a Roth 401k. The difference between those two is if you're putting in money on a pre-tax basis, that money's going in and it's yet to be taxed. You pay taxes on the back end when you pull the money out in retirement. Um, the other type of contribution would be a Roth contribution. So that money goes in, you pay the taxes, money goes into the account, and then when you pull it out, there's no taxation on that money. And so that's another area that when you're coming straight out of school, a lot of people aren't aware, don't know, are a little bit unsure about, okay, what are the differences between these two and how does this affect me based on my given situation? Sometimes it makes sense to put all of it into a traditional 401k. Sometimes it makes sense to put all of it into a Roth. It, it really depends on your situation. I've seen some creative situations, how this relates to your student loans, because if we're talking about student loans and we're trying to get the minimum payment that we can on student loans, well, if you put money into a 401k, that's essentially going to drive down your required payment on an income-driven plan because the way they figure out your required payment on one of those plans is based on your adjusted gross income. So that's after any sort of retirement plan contribution is made. That's where they derive your required payment on. So if you do the math, the more that you put into a retirement plan would consequently lower your required payment on your student loans. And so if, if, if it's the right type of situation, it could make sense to tilt more of your savings into a 401k to reduce the amount that you're required to pay on your student loans. Now, obviously this is different for every situation, but that's, that's one of the advantages of putting money into a 401k is that there's other uh, benefits of doing that that you may not think of just right off the bat. Okay. And that kind of goes along with maybe other payroll things that you need to think about when you're meeting with your employer. Because in my experience, I know there's child care pay that you can take out that might lower your costs or FSA or HSA contributions and those aspects of payroll that might be within your company, mm -hmm. right? Okay. Yeah, yeah the, I'd, I'd say the biggest thing when you're making these sort of decisions is just simply understanding the, the consequences and not consequences in a bad thing, but understand how making that one decision, whether you're putting money into a 401k or an IRA or an HSA, just simply understanding 
what are the effects of making that one single decision and how is that going to affect your long-term goals and strategies that you're trying to do outside of just that one 401k decision or that one IRA decision? Stepping maybe into the next next topic is kind of safety nets. Earlier you mentioned kind of life insurance, car insurance. What maybe other safety nets do you recommend to your clients that they should go ahead and purchase to provide safety for them and the financial safety for them in the future? Right. Yeah. So after I get a client organized, the, the next thing that we do is we walk through a protection conversation. So analyzing and understanding, okay, if we're going to put together a plan, what are the things that could go wrong that could derail this plan that we're working on putting together? So one of those things that's often overlooked is like disability insurance. So most people's most valuable asset is their ability to produce an income. So you've gone through school, you've taken out student loans, you've spent all these years in school with the hopes of being able to provide for your family or yourself in the form of a nice income. Well, if you get sick or injured and can't work, understanding how disability insurance works and how the benefits that you might have through your employer, is that good enough to allow you to continue the lifestyle that you want to do all the hopes, have all the hopes and dreams that you want wanting to do, making sure that those are still possible given that type of disability insurance that you might have. This is one that most people don't want to talk about because there's no fun talking about being disabled and not working. But that's one of the higher likelihoods in terms of insurance of a claim being paid out just because, especially for PTs, is so much of your work involves physical labor, using your hands, using your feet. And so you get in a car wreck or you get sick and you can't do what you went to school to do. Well, make sure that you have a a plan in place that's going to pay you what you want to get paid for as long as you want to get paid and under the circumstances that you want to get paid. So oftentimes employers offer this type of coverage. Um, So making sure you analyze it to make sure that it's good and it's sufficient. And if it's not, then there are certain carriers out there that certain occupations should consider that cover them and they specialize in that area that would best protect them. So that's disability insurance. There's also life insurance. So my stance on that is making sure that should income producing spouse pass away, that that income that they were once bringing in can be replaced with insurance. So it's, it's much more than just paying for a funeral or it's much more than just setting money aside for a kid's college fund, but it's still being able to produce income for the family because that's the lifestyle that you're used to. And so making that decision as early as possible to get some amount of life insurance that you independently own outside of your employer is one that I highly encourage uh, people to do as early on because you're healthy, you're young. So the cost of that insurance is going to be the most efficient at a young age. Um, So that's disability. There's life insurance. Car insurance um, is one that, um, you see lots of commercials for, lots of marketing goes into that sort of stuff, but simply making sure that if you get in an asphalt accident, that you're, you're protected. And so the way that we do that, the best way is, okay, so make sure your underlying limits are adequate, but also oftentimes getting an umbrella policy makes sense. A lot of people don't get talked to about this, but it's one that 
is actually pretty cheap is it's probably a couple hundred bucks per year for an umbrella policy. And what an umbrella policy does is it basically adds an additional layer of protection on top of your home insurance and your auto insurance. Typically, they start at a million bucks of protection. So if you have $200,000 of protection on your underlying limits on your car insurance and you get an umbrella policy, now you're covered for $1.2 million. For medical professionals, everyone should have one um, just because of, typically you have a high income earning potential. And if you get sued, you don't want your wages garnished. You don't want them to come after your personal assets. So the best way to protect that is just simply getting an umbrella policy. And that would be through that you get that by just calling your existing home insurance person or car insurance person and, and getting that quote and getting that. Estimate. Um, and then the last piece of protection that I talk about is legal documents. So making sure that if you have a family, you have dependents, you're married, making sure that you have a will, a trust, a power of attorney, a healthcare proxy, getting all those documents implemented, um, early on because there's never a good time to do that like no one ever wants to sit down and talk about that but as soon as that kid is on the way as soon as you're getting married just sit down with a, a good attorney that you're comfortable with and and knock that out it's going to cost you a couple bucks but it's going to be well worth it in the long run all good advice all good advice going to our next my next question and touching back on that brokerage investment what does that look like for, is that different than in different aspects of your life? Um, like I mentioned, we have a child, we have one on the way. We've talked about saving for their college funds. Does that within your 15%, does that fall within your 15% of savings and it comes after the emergency fund? Does that fall within the brokerage investment category bucket that you were talking about? Yeah, so I treat college savings for the kiddos as a separate bucket. Um, I My personal opinion is that I want to make sure mom and dad are taken care of and their financial future is on track before we focus our full attention or part of our attention in saving for the kids' college. This may come down to more of a preference thing. I, I meet some people that they maybe they had to go through a lot of student loans and they slaved to get those paid out or paid off. Uh, and so they don't want that to happen for their kids. So it can be a situation where mom and dad just want to focus on saving a lot of cash into their kid's college fund, which is totally fine. But for the most part is I, I meet lots of people who they want to just supplement their kid's college. So maybe they set up a 529 plan, get some tax benefits there. Um, but then the rest is going to be left on little Johnny or Susie to be able to foot the bill for the rest of their college experience. And that's personally what my parents had me do. And it, it meant a lot to me is I had some skin in the game is they weren't going to foot a hundred percent of my college cost. So I paid for a year or two and then they were generous and had saved up and helped me with the rest of it. Um, so I think it is important to, uh, allow your kids to have some of that skin in the game. Uh, but when you're trying to save for that, I don't want to see the parents' uh, financial future, their retirement years altered or sacrificed drastically just because they focus so much time and attention on getting the kids through college. So it's just being aware, again, going back to understanding the decision that you make, 
knowing what the long-term consequences of making those decisions are. And what are, besides college savings for your kids, what are those other areas that people can do with that money? You mentioned the brokerage account or the bucket, like what other options do for investment are there besides the retirement and the emergency fund? Yeah, so that that's where a lot where I see that's where a lot of savings goes, especially early on, is some people come in wanting to talk about uh, the big thing right now is cryptocurrencies. <laughs> um, I don't consider that an investment personally, just because th- there's not a lot of track record, there's not a lot of um, data that you can academically make uh, intelligent and informed decisions on in that area. Um, but putting money into an IRA, Roth IRA, 401ks, brokerage accounts. Um, those are probably the most typical investments that, that we see. Once we get past those, so maybe once people have those established and maybe are a little bit more high income earning potential, through our, our firm, we have access to some like private equity deals that we can put toward um, some projects that are going on around town or even around the country, whether it's a hotel project or it's a um, uh, some other type of entertainment venue, those are options as well. Um, and we vet those and make sure that those are wise investments, but those don't typically come right out of the gate, right out of school. Those are more um, down the road type of investments that we make uh, or help clients make. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time. Is there any other advice that you might have for those professionals that aren't quite new, but they aren't maybe ready for retirement yet or any other words of advice that you want to share? Yeah. So for, for those that are a couple years out of school, maybe that are a little bit more established that uh, feel like they have a, a good handle on things is the the reason why I hear a lot of times people not meeting with an advisor is because they feel like they don't have enough money to justify doing that. Well, getting a plan in place and that's only going to help you get closer to having money, whatever, however you define that. And so establishing that relationship as soon as you can, it it really is only going to help you and making sure I encourage people that I meet with to make sure you find a good fit because personally, I'm not a good fit for everybody, but find someone that you trust that you can put your life savings with that, you know, will act as a fiduciary that they'll act on your behalf that you know that they have your best interest in mind, your family's best interest in mind. Um, but, but get connected with someone that can help you lay out all these different decisions that you're going to be making and just coach you through what different things it is that you need to consider and help you reach your full financial potential down the road. Great. If anyone does have any questions for you, how can they reach you? Sure. Probably the best way to reach me would be uh, via email. My email is jbrammer at jaredbunch.com. Uh, that's probably the easiest way, and I'll, I'll give, you, give that to you so you can put that in the show notes or whatever. Great. Yeah, I'll definitely put that in the show notes. Thank you so much, Justin, for being with us again. And if you guys have any questions, please make sure to reach out to him. He's full of advice and willing to help people. So again, thank you, Justin, and um, hope you guys look forward to our next topic. Yeah, thank you. 
Once again, a huge thank you to Justin for being on the show with us today and giving more helpful advice for financial health. I will have Justin's contact information in the show notes. So if you have any questions for him, please make sure to reach out to him. And thank you for taking the time to listen. We want to discuss topics that matter to you. As always, if you have any questions from the episode or any idea that you want to hear about, shoot me an email at jessica.baker.dpt at gmail.com. I hope you find value here that helps you professionally and personally. So come back and listen in to the Professional PT Podcast.